Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So in our last episode, a couple of things happened. You did a topic on, what was it again? Zo- the burning of Zozebra. Right. And we also mentioned that we've been getting a lot of downloads from Ecuador and that's where we're going to move in a couple of years. And we said, hey, if you're listening in Ecuador, you know, send us a shout out, send us a message, let us know where. Right. And I had a really hard time finding uh, the name of the person who had recommended that topic idea, the burning of Zozebra. So I was going through my social media trying to find it and I couldn't find it and I felt really badly about it. Um, But then I moved on with my life. Mm -hmm. And um, today I got a message from Maria on Instagram and she was the one who had suggested that topic. And I was like, yes. So I'm reading her message. Bleep, bloop, bloop. It's all like, hey, thanks for talking about my topic. By the way, I'm from Guayaquil. Which is in Ecuador. And I was like, what? How is this a thing? That is so weird. We get we get stories like this all the time, little weird coincidences that happen involving the show. We uh, had a email from Megan, who listens to us in Hawaii, and uh, she said that she was planning on going to New Mexico, making the plans, mm-hmm. actually, for the uh, Burning of Zozobra Festival. What's it called? Yeah, that's it. Okay. The Fiestas de, de Santa, Santa Fe. Santa, yeah. She's making plans for it, and she's listening to our podcast, and boom, we're talking about it. What yeah. Are, what are the odds of that? And she's friends with my niece, which is crazy. Yeah. What? And she lives in Hawaii. Cool. Oh. Sorry, my... Your inner 1970s came out? My, my inner Sean Penn circa 1981 came out. Just having some food and learning about Cuba. You are so gnarly, Mr. Hand. I don't know those references, but oh I'm God. sure that they're good. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Have you not seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High? No, it always seemed like it was too sexy and racy for me. How old are you now? I mean, maybe, you know, when it came out. Right. Yeah, because I you were been a fetus. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. But now 
it's been long enough. I think you can watch it. You think it. so? Sure. I don't know. I'm still scarred by that time I accidentally watched The Life and Times of Jimmy Reardon. How old were you then? I don't know. It was when I saw It for the first time and then it? I peed my pants. Oh, no. You saw It? Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean the movie? Yeah. I thought it was no. a euphemism for... Oh, you mean a wiener? Yeah. No. And that made you pee your pants. That was a weird time, too. But mm. that's a different discussion altogether. <laughs> Let's save that for a different show. So anyway, Maria, we love you and we can't wait to come back to your country. It's glorious. Yes. So here's my story for you. Are you ready? I can't wait. Okay. One afternoon in the late summer of 2002, a woman named Zara Abutalib, 72-year-old woman living in a village, which was just outside of Casablanca, Morocco, which I want to go there too. Yes, please. I had the fried cauliflower at the Morocco stand in Epcot, and I'm sure that's exactly what it's like to be in Morocco. Zara began suffering excruciating abdominal pains. Oh no, is something living inside of her? (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Um, It just kind of came on suddenly. And she thought, well, you know what? I'm going to just drink some tea and go to bed, Mm -hmm. you know, and sleep it off, whatever this is. Uh, The next morning she woke up. The pain had not not subsided. In fact, it had gotten worse, much worse. Oh, no. Unbelievablefacts.com tells us her son became alarmed. And he, uh, I guess the hospital wasn't uh, readily available. She couldn't go right to a hospital because she was kind of out in the country a bit. Okay. As my dad would say, the willy wax. The willy wags. No, it's the willy wax. Oh, that's what he says? Yeah. Okay. That's what he said. He's dead now, but thanks for bringing it up. Do you need a hug? (laughs) Always. (laughs) So he took her to a professor. Tabi Owazani, he was a uh, doctor, a professor of medicine. He suspected ovarian tumors or a ovarian tumor because of uh, her belly, it was a protruding belly. Okay. So he called ahead to a hospital, the nearest one, and arranged for an ultrasound scan. And the results shocked those that saw them. Not a tumor then? Nope. The scan showed an unidentifiable large mass. So, but he ruled out ovarian, an ovarian tumor, and he referred her to a specialist, a radiographer, and they went ahead and did an MRI scan on Zara. The results? There's something living inside of her. No, no, no. It's not that bad. Oh. Zara was carrying a stone fetus. Oh. The calcified remains of an unborn baby. Now, okay, I have questions. Go. So why would the symptoms of that come on so quickly and so strongly like wouldn't that be like a process one would think so but she had actually been carrying this since 1955 whoa yep she became pregnant that year after suffering labor pains for about 48 hours she was rushed rushed to a a local hospital doctors prepared her for Wait, she went to a hospital? She didn't just have some tea and then go talk to a teacher? No, in 1955, apparently she lived closer to a hospital. Oh, okay. So they rushed her to the hospital. Doctors prepared her for a cesarean section. Uh, but while she was waiting, she saw another woman who had gone in for a cesarean section uh, die on a recovery table next to her. Uh-huh. And so she fled the hospital, thinking that if she stayed, she would meet uh, the same fate. And she kept feeling excruciating labor pains, but suffered no miscarriage. But the pain stopped after a few days. 
And she believed in a local Moroccan myth, which was called the Sleeping Child. The Sleeping Child is a Moroccan folktale, which says that black and white magic can make a fetus dormant, and it might wake up and be born after uh, the normal gestation. What would be the purpose of that? I mean, is it like getting a vacation hold on your FedEx delivery? Because (laughs) that makes sense. It's exactly like that. Even Article 154 of the uh, current family code in the Moroccan law states that a child born one year after the separation is considered to be fathered by the ex-husband. Oh, I Ah. see. Uh Uh-huh. So... Now, this all is making sense now. It's political. Got it. Zara believed... In the Moroccan myth, very strongly. Furthermore, once the labor pains stopped, she just uh, started living her life as usual. She- Wait, I'm sorry. Your husband died two years ago. How are you pregnant? Oh, uh, haven't you heard of the magic? Uh, magic made his baby just live inside me until it was ready to be born. That's I have not been sleeping around uh, with the townsfolk. I, in fact, it is my dead husband's baby. Hurrah. Ta-da! <laughs> right? Magic baby! Now, she never had... She never actually did give birth to a child. Um, she adopted three children. Oh, that's nice. Uh, and went on with her life for about 46 years until this happened. It was concluded that she had suffered from the ectopic pregnancy. That's where the egg had implanted itself in the fallopian tube. And it burst the, the, through the tube... During the development, and it came to life in the abdominal cavity, the fetus had attached itself through the placenta to the vital organs around Zara's stomach. So they were looking at this and they're thinking, yeah, man, she's 72. Um, Is this going to be safe? Right. It's kind of like, all right, well, our dog's teeth are really gross, but... uh He's 12. (laughs) But they decided to go ahead. The surgeon operated. It was discovered that the fetus was entirely calcified. It was a hard, solid lump, basically a stone baby with features of an unborn baby up to that point of the gestation period. Which means that technically it's not a baby. An unborn baby. The word baby means post-birth. NBC calls it a stone baby. (laughs) And I like the way that sounds. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> it was fused to Zara's abdominal wall and vital organs. <laughs> after, after four hours, they successfully removed the calcified fetus from her, and it weighed seven pounds. Whoa. Why didn't this bother her before then? I don't know. I think that part of it was the local culture and her belief in this uh, myth of the sleeping child, that it was just in there resting but she carried it for 46 years. Whoa. I mean, I suppose like anything else, you get kind of used to pain. So if it was gradually increasing or gradually becoming more uncomfortable, then you'd kind of just get over it, especially if you only have tea to treat your wounds. In a hearty nap. The real term for stone baby is lithopedians. And they start, according to an NBC interview, Dr. Uh, Natalie Berger, who is an endocrinologist and fertility expert at Texas Fertility Center. She said it starts off as an ectopic pregnancy, a condition where the fertilized egg gets stuck on its way to the womb. Right. And it implants itself outside the uterus. Usually, she says, 
That type of pregnancy will, will mean a fallopian tubal pregnancy, but in small percentages of cases, the pregnancy can actually occur in the abdominal cavity in places like the bowel. <gasps> that's Literally, a poop fetus. That's a shitty way to start one's life. <sighs> she said that these are not that uncommon, but it's very rare that they can uh, develop to this point. In many cases, what happens is it uh, the tissue just breaks down. Right. And it's absorbed back into the mother. Right, because if it's outside of the the uterus, then it's not in a place that's that's meant to house that kind of material. So right. your body would kind of just shoop, 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 take care of it. In certain cases, the implanted fetus gets to an advanced stage before it dies. Like in Zara's case, it's too large to be absorbed by the body. The remains surrounding amniotic sac slowly calcify, turning to stone. It's actually a way that the woman's body is protecting itself against uh, infection and, and invasion. Right. That makes sense. It doesn't recognize what the hardened mass is other than it's a foreign object. And so it uh, builds calcification around it to protect the mother. It's just like when an oyster gets that uh, yeah. dirt in it, when it right. gets a little bit of sand in there, it irritates it. It's, sure. it's like, ow, I don't care for this sand. Thank you very much. So it covers the sand in, in what is essentially the lining of its shell and makes it softer and more, more tolerable for it. That's it, how pearls are made. Right. It creates a beautiful pearl. I have yet to see any beautiful stone baby jewelry yet, but perhaps that's on the way. Stone babies are extremely rare. Fetus. Or stone fetus, if you prefer. Stone baby sounds so much more dramatic. It does. It sounds like a great band name. It, it sounds like the next album to Lion to the Dying. New from Lion to the Dying. Stone Baby. Stone Baby! Available now. We're all fine. Do it. Say the thing that you want to say. Say the thing that's most natural to you. Say records and tapes! $7.99 for album, $8.99 for 8-track tape or cassette. By the way, if anyone here works for Columbia House... Sorry. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think we both want to apologize for that. I was a child. I, I shouldn't have been signing up for yeah, things. No, that was a loophole I got out of, too. The average, quote, stone pregnancy, according to uh, a medical journal's article, is 22 years. What? Some women, such as Xiang Yijiang from China, carried their calcified fetuses for more than 50 years. Whoa. Now, you asked how she could do that and not go, hey, there's something in me that's hard. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do wonder that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there would be symptoms of early pregnancy in some cases, and then they would just go away. The woman would just think of it as a lost pregnancy and wouldn't think any more of it, especially in areas that were not developed yet. Sure. And if it were uh, very early in the stages of growth, then it wouldn't be that noticeable. Right. It's not like in this case where it's seven pounds. Right, right. That's sturdy. That's a, that's a sturdy stone nugget inside of you. That is the uh, pretty close to, I would think, the average weight of a baby that has been birthed and come to full term and birthed. I wouldn't know. I was enormous. How big were you? I was almost 10 pounds. Holy shit. <laughs> You're one of them stone babies. <laughs> My Aunt Ida weighed 14 pounds. Ouch. And she's a tiny little woman. So she just didn't grow much after that? I don't know. So Hyung Yi Jong told reporters that uh, she didn't have the money to have 
her fetus removed. Oh, so she knew. Yeah, she knew doctors actually told her the baby had died inside of her in 1948, but she didn't have the money to have it removed. So she did nothing and ignored it, which is not smart, by the way. I mean, did she at least drink some tea? There have been cases of lithopedians, according to Berger, which have weighed up to nine pounds. Wow. A full-grown fetus, essentially, have been known to cause intestinal obstruction, pelvic abscesses, problems with delivery and future pregnancies. I would think that. Yeah. Hey, you're in the way. Right. According to the Washington Post, there was a case in Chile which may have never been discovered if for um, an unrelated injury. Estela Melendez, 91 years old, a resident of La Boca. She went to the hospital. She fell and hurt herself. That means the mouth. The doctor said, this this is a quote from her. The doctor said, I had a tumor and that I needed to be operated on. But a second x-ray confirmed not a tumor, but a stone fetus. It seems similar. Now, in her case, it was a uh, a small bump, which was caused by a stone baby over a half a century old. And while it caused occasional pain, hadn't she had that uh, fall, she never would have discovered it. She just lived with it. Some patients with, uh, with this condition have been known to carry healthy pregnancies at the same time. Wow. Now, I'm guessing these are much, much smaller stone fetuses. In Melendez's case, this stone fetus was 4.4 pounds. It formed inside her uterus instead of in the abdomen, which is unusual. Yeah, because the uterus is made to make babies. Yep. And that prevented her from having living children. Oh, wow. Yeah, because your uterus is only, yeah, it was already doing its thing. It's full of rocks. Yeah, it was yeah, it was busy. Because of her age, because she was 91, uh, they opted not to risk Sure. The operation. So sure. she just lived the rest of her life out with this stone baby. In like, her. I want to understand the circumstances that surround carrying a baby to term and then just not giving birth and being like, okay. There was a woman in India, 52 years old, went to the doctor after years of suffering abdominal pain. She had visited many doctors and they just gave her painkillers and pills mm. for the acidity. She spent three years vomiting continuously oh geez finally a a team of uh two doctors i guess two could be a team right they decided to operate immediately and they removed a fully grown quote stone baby wow it was a two-hour operation he said it was uh the doctor said it was a shock for everyone present at the operating theater after opening the abdomen there was a stone fetus that had pretty much grown to full size. Mm. Now, if you're not expecting that that's what you're going to find when you bust that open and yeah. discover that uh, fetus made of stone. It's like a really horrific kinder surprise egg. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking, which concerns me a little bit. That we both immediately go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not a very litigious person, you know, but I would be seeking action against those initial doctors that were like, here's some heartburn medicine for your continuous vomiting and your stone baby. There have been reported cases of extremely elderly people like in their 90s delivering 60 year old babies what? that were seven, eight, nine pounds. That they had carried them for 60 plus years. Whoa. And then actually birthed them. Like through their 
that's, canal. Well, it says birthed. So, so that would lead you to believe. It would lead you to believe it was, you know, maybe they induced it. I mean, I guess it. you give birth when you have a C-section, too. It's just That's, not the same. I, I guess we would use that terminology kind of loosely in right. that case. But I don't know if they induced labor or just, I imagine, probably cesarean. you keep it? Or? I do not know what they... What, I mean, of course, it's, a, it's an individual, individual decision. Yeah, That's, exactly. Yeah. I'm just thinking, what would I do? What would you do? It's one of my favorite shows. John Keonis just busted into our bedroom. What would you do, Katrina Walls, if you birthed a stone fetus that was nine pounds? Well, first of all, I would be um, terrified because um, it would be a virgin birth. And I... Liar! (laughs) Liar! I'm just saying it would be a miracle. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Well, it certainly has caused public sensations throughout history. In 1582, the autopsy findings of Madame Chartres, complete with illustrations, by the way, depicting the woman and her stone child, became an instant medical bestseller, and the calcified fetus was quickly sold to a wealthy French merchant. Sure. He was kind of a P.T. Barnum type. He put it on display at his Museum of Curiosities and Oddities in Paris. The fossilized fetus reportedly was passed around, exchanged hands many times, finally ending up in the King of Denmark's Royal Museum in 1653. 200 years later, the museum was dissolved and the stone fetus was transferred to the Danish Museum of Natural History. Several years after that, that stone fetus was lost, disappeared. Well, that was fascinating. It was a roller coaster ride, I tell you what. And now, that thing in the middle. Thing in the middle, stuff people have been overheard saying in their sleep. Number five. My wife sat up in the middle of the night and yelled, set the burrito trap. I want a burrito trap. I love that idea. Number four. Baby, if you were a caterpillar, yeah, what, what would you do with all those legs? Number three. My wife told me that I just yelled out one night, don't go to that party, R2. They have spaghetti. It'll mess up your circuits. It's really helpful. Yeah. Number two. Mother... Fetch me my cape. This is a woman's dad who had just come out of surgery, and he was still kind of hopped up on goofballs. And Christ knows what else. He sat up, he pointed at my mom, and he said, After I get rid of her, I'm going to clown school. And then he laid back down and went to sleep. Nice. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. You know, as the podcast grows, so does the workload. You have been spending so much more time on social media. And not just playing games like I like to. It's also about posting. Sometimes it's just the repetitive nature of posts that are obnoxious. It's not very efficient. And toward the end of every month, I have to do spreadsheets. You know, Mm -hmm. I have to take information from emails and move it over to spreadsheets. And uh, that's time consuming as well, which is why we're excited about using Zapier. Zapier is the easiest easiest way to automate your work. So it connects all of your business software and handles work for you. So you can focus on the things that matter most. Yeah. No more wasting your time on tasks that, uh, you know, could be automated because that's exactly what Zapier was built to do. Just go to our special link, zapier.com slash box and connect the apps you use the most. Zapier will take it from there. And it integrates with over 1500 business applications. Possibilities are 
are virtually endless. Best of all, it's easy to build the exact solution you need in minutes without writing code or asking a developer for help. And you can join more than 4.5 million people who are saving an average of, check this out, 40 hours per month using Zapier. If you're a solopreneur, for example, that's 40 more hours you could be spending with your family. Right now, through November, try Zapier free by going to our special link, zapier.com slash box. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash box for your free 14-day trial. Zapier.com slash box. Z as in zebra, A-P-I-E-R dot com slash box. Hey, I just started wearing contact lenses and I never thought that I would, but I am and I love them. Here's the thing that surprises me about you and contact lenses you don't really like doing things. That's that's true. But that's where Simple Contacts comes into play. Simple Contacts is making wearing contact lenses much easier by use of technology. Here's how it works. Using your phone or computer, you can take the Simple Contacts vision test in five minutes anywhere you are. Your office, your couch. Hey, the airport. It could happen. And it's legit. It was designed by ophthalmologists, which is really hard to say, and a licensed doctor reviews every test so you can skip the office visit, but not the eye care. A real doctor reviews the test in 24 hours, and if your vision has not changed, write you a new prescription and boom, a fresh supply of brand new lenses on the way to your door. No appointments, no waiting room, no overpaying. Now, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Simple Contacts has over 5,000 five-star reviews on the App Store. And they offer every brand of lenses at amazing prices. To save $20 on your lenses, just go to simplecontacts.com slash box or enter the code box at checkout. That's $20 off your lenses. Go to simplecontacts.com slash box or enter code box at checkout. This is a test of the Box of Oddities emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Had this been an actual Box of Oddities, I'd be talking a lot faster. We got an email from Patrice who said, do you guys have a Patreon account? Well, we, we don't. Not, no. At this point, no. But if you want to support our show, there is still a way to do it. Yeah, we have the premium channel on the Himalaya app. This is a great way that you can support the Box of Oddities. You can subscribe to the premium channel on the Himalaya app. All the uh, episodes are ad-free, and they are released a day early, so you get them a day early. Once a month, we'll be dropping a bonus episode for our premium subscribers. And you get access to the uh, back channel the secret chat room for the Order of Freaks. And we've had some great conversations back there, by the way. Some great suggestions. People give us some uh, great ideas for shows. But if you want to support the Box of Oddities and get all that free stuff, you can sign up on the Himalaya app. Or, you know, it might even just be easier. You can just go to theboxofoddities.com, click on the Go Premium link, use promo code ODD. You'll get your first 30 days for free. And then later, you know, if you like it, then you can support us. But we'll give you 30 days for free. That's nice, too. Yeah. Promo code odd. What you got for me? What, what you, what, what you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? This is kind of an awkward situation. Why is that? Because you talked about stone fetuses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about 
Rocks. Rocks? Okay, so it's 1975. The number one song of the year, I think, was Love Will Keep Us Together. Oh, that's also a good song. Mm. 75 was a good year. It was a good year for pop music. You know, it was not a good year for pop music. 1981. Now. Yeah, you're right about that. The number one song on the day that I was born was the theme from Arthur. What? Stop it. I'm not sure what was number one when I was born, but I think it was a John Sousa march. All right, so back to your story. I bet whatever it was was cooler than the theme from Arthur. So it's 1975, and Gary Dahl was working as an advertising copywriter. One night, he's out with his friends. Uh, They're just shooting the shit at a bar. Pew, 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 pew. (laughs) And uh, they were complaining about all the time and effort that they spent caring for their pets. So he said, you know, that's why a rock would make a perfect pet, because it requires no care. Ah, the pet rock. A rock would not have to be fed, walked, bathed, or groomed. It won't die. It won't become sick. It won't be disobedient. A rock would make a perfect pet. Pop, 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 right? Right. So, obviously, they're sitting around. They're having fun. They're talking about stuff. He throws out this thing. And then he's kind of like, huh. And he started thinking about the story uh, Stone Soup and Dahl was, you know, marketing was kind of his thing. Mm -hmm. So he kind of couldn't get the idea out of his head. So he got home from the bar and he's rolling around the idea. And like I said, it kind of stuck around. So he started putting together this business prospectus. Sure. Mm -hmm. So what if he sold rocks to people as though it were a pet? Mm Mm-hmm. As though they had to care for it. And like put it together as a little package so you could give it as a gift. He wanted to make it a whole thing. It wasn't just giving someone a rock. No. Which... It was packaged beautifully. To me, sounds ridiculous. So he put together this this thing. Can I just say, I had a pet rock. You did? I will describe it to you once you're through. Okay, please tell me all about it. All right. So once he got the idea together and ready to go... He knew that this was something that had potential. He told a interviewer with the Toledo Blade, at the time, the Vietnam War was winding down and Watergate had just started up. There was a whole lot of bad news going on. People were down and it wasn't a real good time for the national psyche. He said, I think the pet rock was just a good giggle. Yeah, it was a joke that everyone was in on. Right. So... The pet rock came in a small container with air holes. I prefer to call it a kennel. Thank you very much. Yeah, it, it's similar to the one that you might get like at a, a pet shop with with a small pet, like yeah. a, a little cardboard sure. box with holes cut in right, it. Right, if you bought a hamster. Right. The rock itself was laid in a nest of hay, making it look kind of like an egg, and it came with detailed care guides and instructions on how to care for the rock. I have heard of the pet rock, obviously, but I did not know, one, how this thing was marketed, packaged, sold. Two, how successful it ended up being. People bought it. Oh, they did, yeah. Everybody talked about it. It was the right idea at the right time. Saturday. I have that sentence in this thing that I wrote. Shut up. Stop it. Well, 1975, 
Saturday Night Live had just launched. So there was, well, Steve Martin was was really getting big. It was a time when more edgy, surreal, bizarre humor Mm. was starting to really take hold. Uh, in the U.S. anyway. I think it was a weird time between like that uh, 60s hippie yeah. movement and like a cynicism. And there was there was like this weird bridge where people were trying to just find fun and joy and not be sad that the peace love thing wasn't working the way they wanted it That's to. That's true. That's very true. So Dahl recruited two colleagues as investors. And they visited a building supply store and bought a whole load of smooth Mexican beach stones and paid about a penny a piece for them. Can you imagine that pitch? Guys, here's what I want you to invest in. Rocks. Yeah. The end. (laughs) Dahl drafted this instruction manual himself for the pet rock. It included things like the care and training of your pet rock. If... When you remove the rock from its box, it appears to be excited. Place it on some old newspapers. (laughs) The rock will know what the paper is for. Mm -hmm. The manual also taught pet rock owners commands for simple obedience and amusement tricks. Of course, the box needs holes. And this is where Dahl actually found that he was putting the majority of his money as far as the investment went. Poking holes in the box? They were made with die cutters Uh, because he wanted uh. it to look Good. Yeah, authentic. So the die cutting of the holes in the cardboard boxes was where the real money went. (laughs) That's hilarious. Everybody needed a good laugh, Dahl said, and the media ate this up. Dahl became a quasi-celebrity. He appeared twice on The Tonight Show with Mm -hmm. Johnny Carson. He received endless calls from investors that were trying to mimic the success of the pet rock. He knew that people were looking for escapism, and it was just the right product at the right time, which is that thing that you said. I said that. Tell me about your pet rock. Well, you've pretty much covered it all now, but uh, yeah, you know, it's it's fine. What was your pet rock's name? It was Artie. I thought it was a good name for a rock. It seems nice. And yeah, it came in a little, um, like like you said, a little cardboard carrier that you would get a hamster in or a parakeet or something at a... um, at a pet shop. When I bought mine, there was no um, pamphlet included. The instructions were printed on the side of the box. Oh. The, the tip. So maybe at that point they had downsized, but it still had the die cut holes. Fancy. Yeah. I kind of put that in the same category as mood rings. It was exactly the same time as mood rings. And another very popular item at that time was the uh, Magic 8 Ball. That was more 60s, wasn't it? I don't know. The thing that I read earlier said Magic 8-Ball. Yeah, I think that was earlier. This obviously was not something that could last long term. It was a fad. And uh, the peak of the pet rock lasted about six months. It ended after a short increase in sales during the Christmas season of 75. And although by... February of 76, they were starting to be discounted due to lower sales. Mm -hmm. Dahl sold 1.5 million pet rocks. How much did they retail for back then? I don't remember. About $4. About four bucks. Yeah, $3.99. So Dahl became a millionaire. Yeah, he did. And and fast. So with his money, 
Dahl opened a bar named Carrie Nations in California. He uh, later attempted to follow up his success with other products like sand breeding kits <laughs> and red china dirt. Huh. Now, that was uh, ostensibly a plan to smuggle mainland China into the United States. So, obviously, he had a great sense of humor. This is hilarious. I know. Um, They did not get as much attention as the pet rock, though I think Red China Dirt is hilarious. It is. Whenever you read a book about entrepreneurship, especially when you're like a solopreneur, inevitably, they cite the pet rock as the quintessential example of marketing brilliance. The guy had it. The guy knew on. what he was doing. Yep, it was perfect, and the timing was just spot on. So in the late 70s, Mr. Dahl was sued by his original investors. They claimed that they had received too small a share of the profits. So what I'm guessing happened was they had invested in this going like, okay, sure, um, agreed on a number, and then when they saw how much it yeah. actually made, mm. they were like, no, we'd like more of that, thank mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. which is uh, rude and whatever. Uh, but the judge agreed and pay, uh, ordered him to pay a six-figure judgment uh, to his original investors. I mean, he wasn't broke or anything, right. but... Not the happy ending that we all hoped for. Still rude. He avoided interviews for years because of what he called a bunch of wackos that harassed him with lawsuits and threats. This is a quote from the Associated Press from 1988. Mr. Dahl said, There's a bizarre lunatic fringe who feel I owe them a living. And sometimes I look back and wonder if my life wouldn't have been simpler if I hadn't done it. Or you had just done it with a shell corporation and nobody knew who you were. Mm. That would have been probably absolutely. Well, I don't think he even knew that this was going to be what it was. No, of course not. Of course not. Dahl's creative agency, which was called Gary Dahl Creative Services. Well, that kind of narrows it down as to who to get a hold of. It's true. It does. For a potential lawsuit. Right. He could have called it like... Acme. Pamphlets are us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually did really well and had his own business that was successful and he worked at until he died in 2015 in Oregon. But the pet rock was not his only success. In the year 2000, Dahl wrote the Bulwer Lighten Fiction Contest, which is a San Jose State University sponsored competition that awards authors for crafting particularly bad purple prose. (laughs) I love this guy. So he defeated over 4,000 other entries from all over the world for the worst purple prose, which blows my mind. And purple prose, if you're not familiar, it's just... It's that really flowery, ornate Mm -hmm. writing that uses metaphor and lots of likes and as-is in order to create a picture, but it ends up being so flowery, it obscures what the actual meaning of the writing is. So what's your point, (laughs) you might say, at the end of reading this prose? And here is his award-winning prose. Prepare yourself. All right. The heather-encrusted headlands, 
veiled in fog as thick as smoke in a crowded pub, hunched precariously over the moors, their rocky elbows slipping off land's end, their bulbous, craggy noses thrust into the thick foam of the North Sea like bearded old men falling asleep at their pints. Oh, my God. Isn't it magical? That's (laughs) beautiful. It was like I was there. I know. Seeing pictures of this guy, he reminds me a lot of Harry Nielsen. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's just the, you know, sepia tone of the photos or the <laughs> facial hair that screams mid-70s, but something about him just says, there. it's a very, it was a very Nielsen time. Well, everybody in the mid-70s, to one degree or another, looked like Harry Nielsen. There were cities that actually passed ordinances. Well, as they should, because Nielsen Schmelson. Exactly. Um, you get it. Thank you. Also, in 2001, Gary Dahl wrote advertising for dummies, which was quite successful. Okay. All right. He wasn't commissioned by the dummies to write the advertising. He wrote the book. He wrote the book, Advertising Advertising for for Dummies. Dummies. Yeah. I did not know that. So, I mean, he had a very interesting life and had a huge success with a product that has no right at all to have been a product in the first place. Yeah, here we are 45 years later talking about it. Yeah. It's still held up as a perfect example of marketing. Beautifully done, sir. Everybody loves a success story, especially when it's just the guy at the bar who comes up with an idea. I'm going to sell rocks and he comes up with a way to do it and make a million dollars. It's a jump to conclusions, Matt. Don't forget our live show tickets are on sale. You can get them at our website, theboxofoddities.com. That is a wrap. We will see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts hello everyone stakuyi here and i'm gabby And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.